This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe. Calling all rugby fans, the ninth annual Vancouver Sevens is returning next week. The event will run over the course of two days at BC uh, at the BC Place Stadium. Community reporter Nathan Clement is in Vancouver and has the details. Hello, Nathan. How's it going? Hello, Alex. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? You know, I can't complain yet. We're supposed to get snow later, but uh, that's for that's for after the show. In the context of uh, now, I am doing just fine. But that's not what we're here to talk about, Nathan. We're here to talk about rugby. So what's so special about the Vancouver Sevens? Uh, the Rugby Sevens, uh, Vancouver's especially, is Canada's lone event of the Rugby Sevens circuit that goes all around the world. And it's just a great weekend of energy, life, and noise as all these great rugby nations come to Vancouver to take part in three days of fast-packed sport. But what's great is the game is fast on the field. The game's even faster up in the stands. Everyone's wearing colorful costumes (laughs) where often the whole point of the game is to get dressed up, is to be loud, is to be crazy and show your creative side so often there's some fun costumes and even if you're at the event you're going to be seeing uh or you're just walking around downtown vancouver for those days you're going to see people in a lot of weird costumes in the middle of february it will look like halloween a little bit but it's very um it's a great time just to celebrate sport and the energy that sport can bring I, I always love that when the fans really get committed and get involved in it and they're not just sitting uh, passively on, on the sidelines or in the stands. So, as I mentioned, this is the ninth edition of it. What's new for this year? Uh, really, it's coming in. It's getting bigger. There's more games this year, as well as right now, Argentina's won it the last couple of years in a row. So, it's going to be a big time to see if Canada or another nation can take down the the repeating champions or even possibly who could soon be the three-time champions. So there's a lot of games happening over a jam-packed couple of days. It's going to be longer times. So kickoffs are around 10 a.m. each day in the past. It's been closer to noon. So you got a full day of rugby from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, you mentioned the costumes already, but what other themes or traditions have been associated with the Vancouver Sevens weekend? Uh, Austin, um, it's been really big on just having people come together. It's very, very huge on the grassroots side of things for bringing uh, different rugby clubs uh, out and really helping grow the Lower Mainland's game, but also throughout the province as well. So it's a huge part of... A lot of uh, Vancouver and um, BC has strong contingencies on the women's and the men's side of uh, Rugby Sevens and Canada's rugby program. So it's a great way of celebrating the grassroots uh, foundations of the sport here in the province and in the city. 
Now, uh, so we, what about the actual facility? You know, it's being housed uh, and hosted at BC Play Stadium. Any tips in terms of the accessibility uh, kind of considerations folks should have if they plan to attend? Uh, BC Place, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work at BC Place uh, for a while now. And um, what's great about BC Place is that there is a ton of accessible entrances, especially coming through the Terry Fox Plaza, as well as um, in the stands, there's access in the stadium, there's access to elevators, to ramps, and the ability to get around the, the the atriums, the hallways are quite wide, so they're easy to get around, they're easy to navigate. And uh, the one thing I've really felt every time I've been working at BC Place is the staff are super helpful, super patient, and will always try to help everyone find a way around uh, around the stadium. Oh, that's always great to hear. And so if folks do want to find out more, obviously they can visit uh, the uh, Sevens uh, website, so that's Sevens dot uh, Van Sevens dot com. V A N the uh, the word Sevens dot com. You can also email the stadium at uh, stadium at bcplace.com or you can give them a call six zero four three five 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 three three zero. And so you had another big event that's coming around the corner for Vancouver, and it's the Brazilian Carnival in Vancouver. You're getting your own taste of Sao Paulo, essentially. So uh, what are some of the activities and some of the performances that are going to be taking place as part of the Vancouver Carnival? So for the Vancouver Carnival, it's happening this weekend, uh, February 17th, and it's all going to be taking place at Granville Island. So there's two... Uh, major events happening for that day at the Production Works uh, facility over in Granville Island is the family event. So starting in the morning around 11 a.m. till about 4 p.m. is gonna be the access for kids to learn about Brazilian culture, but also see samba, see different dance styles and participate in face painting. There's also gonna be a carnival uh, costume contest and that's going to be all for families and all for all ages throughout the morning. Then later on in the evening, starting around nine, there's going to be a massive uh, dance party where just going to be different music musicians coming in and just a giant celebration of Brazilian culture and bringing that sun to uh, to a Vancouver winter. I, I love that you have something for the families, for the kids, and then something for the adults later in the evening. Something for everyone. Now, in terms of collaborations or partnerships, who have uh, been a part of the, the festivities this year? Uh, the Part of the festivities this year is Elements Brazil, as well as La Remuda and Van City Jerseys are all taking part in really trying to get get the clothes out, get gear out, and just create a way that everyone can celebrate this season, but also find a way to grow and build this into multiple years down the line. Oh, that's perfect. And if folks are interested in that event, you can give them a call at 604-566-0999. You can also send an email, plaza at latincouver.ca. And so that is... Latin, L-A-T-I-N-C-O-U-V-R dot C-A. You can also visit latincouver dot C-A, spelled the same way. You had one more uh, 
event you wanted to highlight, Nathan, and this is to do with the Invictus Games. They're a year away, and the city of Vancouver is gearing up for one of the biggest events in adaptive sports, as they will be hosting Unconquered Sports Day on February 19th. So what is the significance of Unconquered Sports Day? What does it represent? Uh, Unconquered Sports Day is a celebration of adaptive sport, first off, but also, as you said, one year till the Invictus Games comes to Vancouver and Whistler. So this will be about the sixth or seventh edition of the Invictus Games, but this is going to be the first winter games for Invictus. So this time next year, there's going to be tons of adaptive sports all across the Sea to Sky region. Primarily at the uh, Unconquered Sports Day, it's going to be happening at the Seaforth Academy right by Burrard, the Burrard Bridge and right by the old Molson Brewing uh, Factory. But they're going to be celebrating uh, sitting volleyball, uh, indoor rowing, um, wheelchair curling, and multiple other sports and just trying to show everyone what the power of sport can do, but also bringing that attention and just bring people into this amazing world of para and adapted sports. And the thing with the Invictus Games is they they just transcend beyond just pair and adaptive sport as well. There, there's other significance to it. Can you talk a bit more about the significance of the Invictus Games? Yes. Uh, the Invictus Games is the celebration of people uh, who've been in service for, the, for their militaries or their home nations and just the celebration of sport and o- overcoming obstacles and overcoming life's adversity. So it's a great celebration of togetherness and just the power of the human movement, human brain, and the human heart all coming together. Oh, this is perfect. Nathan, thank you so much for for bringing these topics forward and uh, have yourself a wonderful day. We will be hearing a bit later from you in the show when it comes to uh, the uh, adaptive sport, up, uh, the Parasport update. But for now, I bid you adieu. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Nathan Clement. And for more information on the Invictus Games or Unconquered Sports Day, you can email info at invictusgames2025.ca or you can visit their website, invictusgames2025.ca. In one minute, Laura Bain will be here with your entertainment report. But first... If the search for love is not going well on through the free dating apps, there may be another alternative out there, but it's going to be quite costly. Mike Dubusky has tech trends for you. From ABC News, tech trends. How much would you pay to match with the right person on a dating app? Or to put it another way... What's the price of finding love? Nico Shkreli is the founder of Shivy, as in chivalrous. It's an app aimed at matching young professionals, complete with a selfie check system intended to cut down on scams and bad actors. The price? 149 bucks a month. We're not really trying to you know, price, get, price gouge our customers or anyone. We just think it's a fair number that makes sure that our customers do have serious intentions. Chivy is not alone in the ultra-expensive dating app market. Last year, Tinder introduced Tinder Select. It's a $499 monthly subscription service. Other, more exclusive apps like The League and Raya require an invite to join and can run into the thousands of dollars. Americans spent more than $200 million on dating apps last month alone, outpaced only by spending on streaming apps like Netflix. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. 
$150 is not price gouging. Uh, well, to each their own, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. But enough of that. It's now time for the entertainment report with Laura Bain. Laura, the conversation around the Super Bowl continues. Uh, what story did you want to bring forward today? Yeah, you know, sort of as folks digest what happened during the broadcast, there's a few stories that are really sticking with me. And the first one I wanted to bring forward is uh, deaf actor Marley Matlin calling out CBS for failing to show its ASL performers on the main broadcast. So for folks who weren't aware, I wasn't aware, for about 30 years, the Super Bowl has included ASL performers during the pregame and halftime shows. For example, this year, CODA actor Daniel Durant performed the national anthem in ASL alongside Reba McIntyre. He was introduced on the main broadcast, but then he wasn't shown at all. Uh, CBS did make a separate link available where people could stream a version of the broadcast with ASL, but it's no longer available. I did go and try this morning. It doesn't take you anywhere. Um, now, Alex, you'll notice that I'm using the word performer and not interpreter, mm -hmm. and that's because these really are performances of the music with ASL performers dancing and expressing the music through their bodies. Uh, if folks go to YouTube and just search Super Bowl ASL, they can see some of this and it's it's really very beautiful. But, you know, my thoughts on this is that it's a real missed opportunity and why not show it in, in, in its entirety alongside the vocal performance in order to create a universal design broadcast. But what are your thoughts on this? I, I think just the in in general the NFL and and you know the the traditional broadcasts have always a bit been a bit behind on on the times in many different aspects especially when it comes to things like the performances the anthems all those types of aspects that they've really struggled to effectively grasp with how to address a, a kind of proper representation. I'm not surprised mm -hmm. that they're, they've been called out for, you know, not really uh, highlighting ASL. But I think in general, when it comes to sporting events, when it comes to performances, everyone could do a much better job when it comes to representation, whether it's through ASL, whether it's through, you know, closed captioning, whether it's, uh, you know, alternative uh, uh, language broadcasts that would be available. Like, I, I think, you know, you need to be able to treat it like you do with uh, uh, another language, you, you often have heard, oh, well, here is the, uh, the Spanish language broadcast, or, you know, when it comes to hockey, it's like, oh, well, here is the, uh, we have the Punjabi language uh, broadcast, things like that. But there are other options available. I think these broadcasters are making so much money that you, you could probably, you know, uh, you could you could put together another feed, another uh, of like broadcast uh, um, channel that you could have the Super Bowl, the biggest event of the year, the most watched a TV event ever, on another kind of outlet or stream that you could allow that has interpretation on it. Right. Um, well, you know, I'm glad they're being called out. Marley Matlin is a is a is a big name, and uh, as I say, my hope would be they would do better next year, and I would like to see it on the main broadcast. Uh, but the other story that kind of has my attention this uh, this morning, and for the last couple of days, I've been mulling it over, is uh, the pitch correction of Alicia Keys' voice in official videos of her halftime performance. And I have a clip for us to listen to, just as a reminder of the performance she did as one of Usher's guests. 
So let's give that a listen. So for me, it, it 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 sounds okay. Now, in fairness, Laura, I I've never been one to be able to truly tell if it's that's part of the the issue living with with hearing loss. But uh, clearly, some folks at CBS and and the performers say they felt differently. Okay, so that was just to be clear, that was a bit of a reminder of the halftime show. We didn't have audio available to us of the actual note in question, mm -hmm. but the note in question is right off the top of her performance when she goes into If I Ain't Got You, a big, beautiful song. And kind of the day after the Super Bowl, I had heard some buzz online about her missing this note off the top. So I went back and I listened. I listened to it a couple times and I thought, no, I think she sounds on point. I don't get what people are talking about. Well, that's because it was fixed after the uh, after the fact and this in and of itself has generated some controversy over the last few days so um you know my opinion on it i don't like that it was pitch corrected you know a few weeks ago i brought a story to the entertainment report about the greatest night in pop the documentary and how much i was struck by these sort of big musicians he, getting to hear them missing notes and sort of struggling as they worked through this song and as they did that process and i guess i just worry this kind of speaks to me that we have a culture that really demands perfection and you know we can't achieve perfection but now we can sort of mimic perfection after the fact using ai generated tools and mm -hmm. you know for myself i think it's healthy especially for young people to see the people that they idolize being human missing a note it happens you know it's okay and uh, i also think there's a bit of a concerning element of rewriting history here where everyone who was at the Super Bowl or watching watching it live thinks, I heard one thing and then they go back to the uh, you know, official video and they think well, did I hear that? You know, why does this sound different? But on the other hand, I get it. The internet was not kind to Alicia Keys the morning after the Super Bowl about her missing that note, unfortunately. And that's why a lot of performers use lip syncing because it is not possible to achieve, achieve perfection during a live performance. I personally am all about hearing those imperfections. I think that's authentic and I, I like it better. But what about you, Alex? Do you have an issue with them altering the audio after the fact, or do you think that's just par for the course? So I will say that I am not surprised in the least that they do it, as you mentioned, performers in the past, they've used lip sync, they've used other kind of means to really uh, kind of address performance issues because the thing is trying to perform at a Super Bowl halftime is an inherently difficult challenge let alone from an audio perspective you're literally setting up a stage in about 10 minutes and then you have to get on there perform and then have to get off stage it is not an ideal space or situation for a performer at the best of times um i i don't like the idea of uh, and i agree with you it's essentially rewriting history but i'm i'm not surprised because it just goes to show the performance is never about the halftime show is never about the performance itself and that, that's really kind of the takeaways is, well, they don't really care about, you know, the performer and, and what they're actually doing. No, we'll just, we'll fix it in post, essentially, to take a, a TV uh, term out of it. It's like, yeah, we'll just drop the audio. Oh, we, we upload the video on, on YouTube or, or on online. That's going to be the one that's remembered going forward. 
and yeah, it really doesn't. At a certain point, you kind of question why do we even have a halftime show in at all, especially if you're not getting authentic performances. So it's sad. It's a bit frustrating, but it's not surprising. So that's where I land on it, Laura. Uh, thank you so much for for bringing these uh, topic forward, and uh, we'll we'll chat again soon. Have yourself a wonderful day. I think we'll chat tomorrow, Alex. Thanks. Yes. You have a, a good rest of your day. <laughs> you too. That was Laura Bain at uh, with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, I got the regional news update, and Brock Richardson is here for a sports chat. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's the only way we know how to rock. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.